Hey guys, you're listening to another podcast on the Cloud Avengers podcast channel. My name is Richard Morrell. Thank you for taking time out of your day to download this far. So, opposite me today is a guy who's been twittering my stuff like a madman for the last year. Ed Daniels, introduce yourself. Say hi. Hi, very pleased to join you today, Richard. So, um, my story in open source would probably begin back about, about 2005. That's the first time I actually um, started doing a... A newbie. Yeah, well, well, more so the first time I actually tried to convince a customer to actually um, use open source. And that customer was the NHS. Wow, that's a pretty good claim to fame. Nice big customer to start off on. Well, nice big painful customer to start well, out. Well, actually, it, it was it was an uphill it was an uphill struggle that was an, I was never going to win. Um, what I did do actually was um, help the uh, parts of the NHS that don't get budget. They um, they really have to try and do their absolute best to give a give a quality of care that is virtually impossible. And the example that I would uh, always remember is um, the one that actually got acknowledged as the first virtual clinic ever in the UK. Right now, for those. Listeners in North America, NHS equals Obamacare. So <laughs> you, you heard it here first. Okay, so a lot of the things that we try and work at in the open source community are solving real first world problems. You've just had two days at the DevOps event. How'd it go? Well, I think in some ways one often sees these conferences when, when, when you're following, they, they kind of be a bit like a repeat. For example, the keynote that was given this year by Mark Burgess was actually just given, it was virtually the same keynote back in New York, so you might say, well, yeah, it's a bit repetitive, but actually the, these, these conferences are not the typical sort of thing where you go and you have vendors pitching you and talking about the sort of the new ways to, 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 to basically solve the same problem with, with new, new technologies. It's more of a community collaboration summit. So people who have a passion or a need come together and share their problems. Mm -hmm. And yes, at the same time, the vendor community participates, sponsors, people who are consultants trying to position themselves as experts. Sure. They, 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 they obviously participate in that. But the real uh, benefit that most of the attendees shared with me was that here's a place where I can come and find out it's, I'm not alone. It's not just me with the same I think, problem. I think a lot of these things, when you come to the events, we, we do uh, uh, JODCON and FUDCON, which is the JBOSS and also the Fedora guys who, who get together. And I think we just tagged in. Last time we did some, we had an OpenShift a, a community day beforehand as well. It's the stuff that goes on in the breakout sessions. And all of a sudden, you see people from different walks of life from different industries all trying to solve common problems whether that's authentication whether that's storage whether it's provisioning and they're all trying to solve the same problem and all there's a technology whether it's whether they're looking at using linux to do it whether they're using apache cloud stack whether it's OpenStack, whatever technology all of a sudden they're with topic matter experts who don't necessarily work for the for the vendor they're just people who actually gone out there and done it for real actually gone and deployed it this is the, exactly the point because a lot of these people they 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 don't have the actual ability to say, I've been doing this for five, ten years. I've been doing this for three months. I've just tried this thing out for and a week. And it worked. And, and, yeah, can you guys give me some feedback? Yeah. It's a real melting pot of creativity in that aspect. And another thing that, that I think is important to mention about the DevOps thing particularly is that people are getting this so confused because it's a bit buzzwordy. I think it's the third biggest buzzword out there right now mm. before cloud, after cloud and big data. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We've just been talking big data is not necessarily a buzzword. It's just for people who don't understand what unstructured data is. I would concur. So the, what, and I'll give you a very good example of how this, how this manifests itself. So DevOps, they talk about CAMs, you know, culture, automation, uh, metrics, and what have you. But um, if you go to Wikipedia, 
they're trying to tell you it's a software delivery method. Mm-hmm. So, and, and people are normally pretty passionate about what Wikipedia shows, but you know, who wanted to go and say it's a software delivery method? Who thought that was a good idea yeah, to yeah. put their name to that Wikipedia article? I feel sorry for them. <laughs> One of the things that you've specialized in doing over the last decade um, is trying to hurt cats, really, isn't it? Trying to get people into a row talking about automation, talking about understanding how service management and service desk operation works, especially around ITIL. Now, I did my ITIL qualifications back in the day, and uh, I did my Sarbanes-Oxley certifications. And a lot of the time, it was just trying to make things fit in a box, trying to make things fit against a control metric, trying to make, make things fit against a spreadsheet to make things palatable so we could actually deploy things. Then we introduced cloud and virtualization, and we in- introduced the concept of public cloud and companies racking up to Amazon with a credit card to start consuming those instances and moving those applications. This must be a CIO, especially in Europe with ITIL. It must be his worst nightmare. It's his worst nightmare, perhaps, in with the respect that he has his peers, the industry, all waiting for him to react to this movement, to actually take a stance, to uh, show the vision from, from his perspective. And it's very hard when you have an enterprise that is very tightly coupled mm. to actually try and experiment with these technologies. You can't move business-critical, mission-critical data around and just play with it. But what has been occurring <coughs> has been the shadow IT aspect, which is, and I'm gonna, again, I, I hope I'm not going to drop somebody in a mess here, but I remember at a Drupal sprint, um, held by Sun back in, uh, oh, I think it must have been 2002, 2003. We, we had some people get, obviously, actually, yeah, we, we, we did a project. Um, we needed to, uh, to basically do some change control. And we didn't really have a simple way to do this workflow. We had people come in and show us their service desk solution, but it involved a whole load of work, and it was going to be a, you know, about a nine-month sort of, sort of time lapse between you know, sign-off and delivery. So we hacked a solution in Drupal, but we didn't tell the management. Mm-hmm. We just said... We've got this solution, web-based, it's uh, doing change control, and, and it works. And uh, the management went, well, what's, what's the product? Um, we built it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see the, the color drain from their face. <laughs> exactly. But it, the thing is, is that what open source has been actually doing has been empowering people inside the organization to do stuff. So I think the CEO's greatest fear is actually putting trust in his team and his team's ability to, 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 do, to do the work. And what I've been seeing more on the continent and less in the UK is that, um, that trust, that, 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 that collaboration spirit. And uh, the, the, the best example from the UK that I saw where this worked well was with the, um, the, 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 middle, um, the middleware solution, um, mm-hmm. the uh, AMQP project that came mm-hmm. out of the city, yep. and how that then, you know, that, that was the kickstart for ZeroMQ and, Ra- and RabbitMQ. I mean, that, that's, that's um, a fantastic uh, example in some respects. Again, it was something where it was a collaboration. It wasn't being driven top-down. It was people coming together saying, you know, we've got a problem, and we're all pretty good at this kind of stuff. That's why we bought Fusesource, because they were the guys behind the Rabbit MQ stuff, all the Apache Camel stuff. And do you know what? I did a podcast with James Strachan, who is part of Fusesource team, who came on as part of the acquisition. And we love putting him in front of customers just because he goes out there and talks a lot of common sense. And I think the sales guy sitting alongside him goes, wow, what happened? Didn't understand a word of that, but the customer was happy. And I think a lot of the AMQP stuff solved a lot of common problems because it was just open and transparent and it just worked. Well, I mean, we remember after the whole bubble burst thing, one of the, the first things that happened was that everyone got sacked. Yeah. 
all the all the all the top 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 end consultants that were holding and stitching stuff together suddenly got told, well, you need you need to uh, you need everything to take got some time ported off. to Hyderabad. Yeah, it, well, and we, would... we saw what we saw what happened then with you know NatWest lost had downtime, Bank of Ireland had downtime. It wasn't a good place to be. And then quite along comes Dave Chappell with his concept of like ESB and like guys, you're doing EAI wrong. Yeah. Every time you do it, you're you're racking up a massive cost and you're a massive pain. And it comes back a kind of the sort of what the conversation is today about it regarding configuration management and automation and having a canonical standard. That's you know one standard that can be then used as a broker across your enterprise to, to be able to facilitate the uh, the way you want to orchestrate your 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 domain. And one of the problems that that, that was occurring with EAI was that every time you try to bring in a new application you had to write multiple adapters so yeah, it could yeah. fit with everything so when Dave said well hey ESB yeah. I was like good grief yeah what a good idea yeah just makes sense I mean we we have a, a large community out there in the jboss.org space who have contributed code back in so the, things like drools and then we have the supported version being BRMS I was over in Boston both last year and this year at Summit and not a huge JBoss middleware guy, but sitting in these breakout sessions. And uh, it was amazing to see how many non-suit-wearing senior management there were trying to solve common problems with data by putting business rules, wrapping them around it, because they understand that not only does it solve complex problems more efficiently from a financial perspective, but they get best use out of the systems they've already got. They're not having to deploy new systems. They're able to use systems they've already got. They're building a cloud out of what they've already got. And I think reuse, because tech refresh, people the, the money's just not there to do the tech refresh. They're being able to build a cloud out of what they've got. They've got their sensitive stuff within their, their private cloud. They can understand and move those workloads that are less sensitive to a, a public cloud provider, be it Amazon, Verizon, whoever. But also to be able to then talk about audit. Now, that's one of the topics I definitely want to talk to you about, because... Audit changes when we start thinking about cloud. Traditional audit was uh, a guy from uh, an auditing company who turn up with a copy of Nessus and Nmap and who give you a uh, a fifteen page sheet which showed you all the cert advisories for every copy of Apache or OpenSSH you had, and you know it, it, it basically showed you a gap a gap where your mitigation should be between where you should be and where you are currently, and these are the controls you need to deploy. But in cloud, we're talking about huge amounts of data. We're talking about huge amounts of connectivity between platforms, but we're also talking about things like reputation and risk. I think, personally, the amount of data that we're going to be spinning out from companies consuming cloud is going to grow and grow and grow. We acquired Manage IQ last year. One of the, the things that we got out of that with platforms is the ability now that we can start thinking about how we have that real-time audit. But it's not just solving that problem from a data perspective. It's also culture, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, one of the problems that, that you have is you've spent the last maybe 10, 15 years trying to um, get control of the enterprise, trying to improve process, trying to have a, a knitted together organization where people know where the demarcation responsibility starts and ends. When you start bringing in um, SaaS offerings, um, public cloud offerings, uh, third-party solutions and you're trying to stitch it all together, one of the first problems for the risk manager is who is responsible. Who So if pays. I come to you and say, I want to, I just want to give you an, ex hey, I know what I'll do, I'll just extract my Active Directory database, here you go, that solves the authentication problem, doesn't it? <laughs> and this is one of the problems that people then talk about because as soon as you talk about risk, you then talk about security. 
and um, I think a good example maybe to share recently was there's a after the um, the fallout of various um, uh, revelations in the community about uh, um, shall we say the traffic sniffing? Yeah, uh, yeah. Rather than go into a big one about that, we're not allowed to mention the p word. <laughs> Absolutely, but it sounds like something in a geometry set. <laughs> <laughs> so after after that occurred, we saw you know various people trying to say, oh yeah, I'm going to set up a, an email service in Iceland to compete against Gmail, or I'm going to do a put something uh, in Luxembourg. Yeah, yeah that um, worked for Skype, didn't it? <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> the, or I'm going to I'm going to do some kind of file sharing technology, and as because it's not Dropbox and it's not based in the USA. Yeah, yeah. And one one that comes to mind was the uh, the team that had been doing own cloud. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it's a branded it's a brand for an, an open source project that basically does you know collaboration or what have you, and mm-hmm. uh, it you know it works, it's fine. But um, one of the ironies was that um, the team were trying to promote the actual quality of the security, and of course, quality is a very poor word; it's often misused. Mm. Quality for me is fit for purpose and fit for use. Yeah. And when you look at um, a security uh, a security challenge, one of the problems that people have is they don't actually take a look at what the security community is trying to share. Mm. I mean, I have a, a, an utmost respect for the Cloud Security Alliance and the way that they've been able to, as a community of subject matter experts, professionals, of diverse backgrounds, from VPs to coders to all types of people. Yeah, and, and, and we had Jim Reavis sitting in this room doing a podcast with me in June, and that's available in the podcast catalogue. But here's the cool thing. I think what comes out of the CSA in version 3.0 of the matrices was, was, was made available just recently. Um, it's a one-size-fits-all. And it's a living, breathing document, isn't it? It's it's the fact that if I am a company in Tallahassee, I'm I'm exporting my goods worldwide. Potentially, I have issues with where I can store my data or where I can deploy cloud instances. Or for a company, especially in this current climate where I'm acquiring an organization, what are my roles and responsibilities? And for Red Hat, this was a difficult thing. We made the decision about a year ago to use OpenSCAP for OpenShift, to to deploy OpenShift against OpenSCAP standards. And we had to think like a service provider, which really outside our comfort zone. You know, we're a software software house. We're not a service provider. But OpenShift allows us to stand up this platform as a service solution. And we had to think, well, if companies are consuming and absorbing that and pushing their applications into it, it's almost a service provider tier. And uh, the great thing about working in open source is that a lot of the, the cronies come up um, and the guy called Tim Kramer, who is responsible for all the uh, OpenShift security, was actually my boss 15 years ago at VA Linux. So it's weird that we've sort of stuck together. And he worked really hard, hand in hand, with volunteers. We didn't pay the Cloud Security Alliance to do the certification. It was self-certification with volunteers who were professionally qualified in their own individual roles within companies outside the organization who helped us achieve that. None of them got paid for it. None of them. And although, you know, in the interest of being open, Red Hat do support the CSA financially, so do HP, so do Citrix, so do many other companies. And it's in our interest to make sure that the CSA are taken seriously. And I stood in Copenhagen about seven months ago uh, talking about uh, open source and talking about OpenStack and all this cool stuff that we're doing from RDO perspective. And I mentioned the Cloud Security Alliance, and I I did a, a roll call in the room and said, look, and it was all CIOs open CIOs who've made time to come to an open conference run by Red Hat. And I said to them in the room, how many people here use the CSA control matrices? One hand went up. 
And I said, well, how many people in the room know what the CSA control matrices come up? Oh, same guys, how many? No one in the room. So I think the more that we can do as industry professionals to have those conversations and to talk about it, it, it can't do it any harm whatsoever, can it? Not at all. I mean, the thing that, that uh, I'd, I just want to stress to, to, to listeners is that this isn't something that, when you said one size fits all, it wasn't a question of that, you know, you, you, know, you take a piece of wrapping paper and it doesn't no. matter what the present is, you can wrap it. That, that is not what we're talking about. In the same way that people say it all is a framework, understand understand what we're trying to communicate with it all yeah uh you don't follow it verbatim it's no, not, you some, don't. It, it, it's it, not it, a script no <laughs> it's not even a bible it's more it's more a rope to hang yourself with isn't it it, it is if it is if you try to 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 get religious about it you have to understand what it's trying to communicate uh, and and it all is trying to actually communicate a culture of responsibility in sure, the organisation, sure. which is exactly what the CSA is trying to do at a security perspective. So I I, I one hundred percent support what they do, and often spend my time actually trying to help people understand that when you're dealing with an enterprise architecture, security is not the last thought. So so one of the things that that Red Hat's been stressing to uh, a lot of people who use Red Hat Enterprise Linux um, back in the day, you know, in the open source community you had really two schools of thought, which were AppArmor and SE Linux. Both really good technologies. Uh, you can deploy SE Linux on almost any Linux distribution, including you know Ubuntu, SE Linux, SE Linux on CentOS, Scientific Linux, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of people turn it off by default, and it's like, well, why would you do that? It's a question of understanding the templates and understanding, you know, it's there, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Well, I think one of the things that, that's tried to help people work with that is with the initiatives that you've done with Fedora. Yeah. Because when you're working with Fedora, you do at least have a, uh, a hand uh, hand a hand holding type type uh, exercise where when you have a have a a, a need to um, do something and I'm trying to think of a good example here from my well if you think about from, from a cloud perspective when you're deploying a any SE Linux instance you're almost building a brick wall around it aren't you you think about it you're jailing you're trooting that instance away especially in a multi-tenant environment that's really powerful because if you think about how we normally deploy a multi-tenant environment all the trust is with the service provider especially in public cloud you're hoping that they've got their boundary edge controls and their version control and everything and and basically once you've got root you're god anyway but at least if you're deploying using se linux you've got that brick wall around your instance so that it doesn't matter what anyone else does doesn't want any on, on on that hypervisor. At least you're secure. You know, it's interesting you say that because I'm not entirely sure I agree. Come on, I, 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 I welcome discussion. The the reason why I, I say that is that we've started to see a behaviour that wasn't possible um, three years ago. What behaviour is that? And is that this the new the, uh, uh, behaviour as God or <laughs> no, no? No, the behaviour to say I'm just going to spin up 500 servers for 30. 30 minutes maybe yeah, yeah. and then I'm going to tear them down again and then I might spin up another 2,000 and essentially I'm reacting to a, uh, a, um, a demand from mm -hmm. multiple clients to have compute capacity mm -hmm. what we don't, don't, don't maybe acknowledge is the noise mm -hmm. when you do that spinning up all those images taking them down, the noise on the network and I've, I, I'm kind of curious to see how SDN is going to be a <laughs> so I was just about to say I was on an escalator in Vancouver Airport with um, a guy called Steve Hardy from Red Hat and a young guy whose name I can't remember from Sousa and they were having a conversation walking through the concourse saying exactly this but they were talking about thermal 
Now, if you think about it, when there's a house fire and they have a thermal imaging camera, they can see where things are hot. And Steve Hardy and this guy were sitting saying, well, wouldn't it be really cool using SDN if we could actually understand what areas of the virtual data grid that we're building we're actually doing 85% of the compute capacity and we can move those out and then bring them back in when we need to be able to do this. By the bottom of the escalator, they'd already solved the problem how they'd scripted to do it. And I think that's the open source community for you. They're solving real world problems now, maybe leaving the mess to clear up afterwards, but they're able to go and actually solve problems that people are having today with real time data, especially in un unstructured data as well. I was at the Gluster community event in London last week uh, or the week before, and a lot of customers there and a lot of users of the Gluster community who, again, huge amounts of unstructured data. That's huge amounts of it. And again, having to sit and think, well, you know, at the end of the year, we're going to have to sit down with an auditor, whereas audit really should be 24 7, 365, shouldn't it? I mean, this is your background. Yes, I mean, you've you've got. It's almost a bit like just 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 in you. If you look at your own life, if you leave stuff to the last minute, it's not very uh, pleasant. Right. If you plan ahead, if you make sure you do a little bit of something a day, and you've got your paper-based controls, obviously. But if each day you're you're making sure that you're nibbling away at whatever you're trying to achieve, you will probably achieve it. If you try and do, I mean, it reminds me of the whole thing, like you know, the big design up front with projects. I mean, it just doesn't. You have got to have a monitoring architecture. You've got to have an auditing architecture. Mm -hmm. That architecture doesn't. I'm not saying one size fits all. It has to be able to integrate with anything. A good example is what's been taking place in the um, mobile telecommunications industry. Mm -hmm. They've all, they've always had security incident centers, but one of the problems they've been having is that with the new uh, generation of technologies such as three and four G. All of a sudden, they're online, and um, they're starting to realise they've got some serious problems because they don't have that twenty-four-seven auditing ability to know whether they're actually vulnerable or invulnerable. And it is risk to reputation as well, isn't it? Totally. Um, one of my dear friends um, actually specialises in writing about, you know, uh, brand reputation in crisis. And one of the, the the things that you'll see often is that in our world of IT, people are quite forgiving. If you look when Netflix went down, Amazon mm -hmm. sometimes goes down, even Outlook.com going down. I mean, but the customers haven't left. No. If you look outside in other industries, when you have a failure of that Yeah, they've gone. Yeah, contracts ended. Exactly. But I think also, you know, a lot of technology companies where risk and reputation are damaged, it's the company valuation all of a sudden they're required. They've gone from being, you know, a massive conglomerate to being acquired by a smaller company in, in a matter of weeks because confidence is not there, therefore revenue is not there. Unfortunately, it's not just the big companies as well, Richard. I was consulting to a, uh, a French startup and they had, they had done a very, very cool solution. I don't really want to go into details. I don't want to identify who they are. Mm -hmm. But they, they had a fantastic deal with one of the, the, one of the ministries in France. The problem that happened was was that they had a situation where their solution took out the availability of a service. It wasn't actually their solution, but because their solution didn't facilitate exposing the right log information, sure. it had obscured uh, because it was banging in its own information into the logs and the people trying to find out where's the problem and going pulling their hair out because this was a mission-critical thing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the project lost its reputation. They, they lost the client, and um, they probably won't get them back anytime soon. And it was never their fault. It was another service. I, I think it, it's understanding architecture, isn't it? It's understanding what you're actually trying to solve, the tools and technologies that you're trying to work with. And I think 
you know, uh, companies like VMware and Microsoft and Red Hat, we all have a duty of care to try and behave openly and transparently. And that's been the great thing about the OpenStack Foundation. Um, Brian Stevens, the CTO of Red Hat, did a very humble podcast with me in June in the UK. And I posed the question to him, you know, there's always the risk with OpenStack that Red Hat looks like it's coming to muscle in to take over. And, you know, the guy was very, very humble and said nothing could be further from the truth because at the end of the day, all the egos are checked in at the door. HP, Cisco, Rackspace, all those guys, Marantis, everyone's coming to try and solve problems. They're bringing Heat, Solometer, Triple O, all these projects to try and solve common problems. And it's not just about the number of commits and the com- companies who are contributing to it. It's coming to a stable platform developed in the community. Well, I think Solometer is a very good example because HP was partic- is participating very yeah. strongly. And they were very keen to promote some of their own um, capabilities based on what they've been doing with the OpenView project and bring that in. Exactly. And the Solometer guys just put their arms out, reach out. So well, let's work together. Yeah, and we've and been doing the same with Heat with Solometer. And I think I think it's consumptive capacity, isn't it? It's especially with Solometer, for the first time, we're going to be able to start having those dirty, difficult conversations about billing and metering, consumption. You know, n- it's not just about monitoring and ordering. It's also what did you consume? How much was it? And potentially charge back and billing because people want to start making money from this stuff as well. It's not just about spinning up. You know, you have service providers building structures using OpenStack. And that's that. I think that's where the future is. Yeah, I think what's what's happened with OpenStack and has probably made made that conversation a lot easier to have is that it's the first project that hasn't really had a strong academic driver. If you look at things like Open Nebula, Eucalyptus, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, most of that was academic money that got that going. It was European funded research. Mm-hmm. Uh, OpenStack is a industry initiative. It's to solve a common problem. Correct. Yeah, I was over at the OpenStack Developer Summit in Portland earlier this year, and it was scary. Uh, I said before on podcast that I came out shattered. I was in the airport day three, absolutely shattered. And that's because we had all worked for three solid days, sitting down with pads of paper, with whiteboards, trying to solve problems around authentication, around security, around provisioning. And, you know, it didn't matter what company badge you were there, you were there to solve a common problem. And... 1,600 people put their hands in the air, all people who contributed stuff into GitHub. You can't do that at a proprietary conference on Azure or VMware. You just can't do it. It doesn't happen. Well, it's, it's, it, it's a shepherds and sheep. Yeah. Proprietary is shepherds and sheep. There is no transparency about the roadmap. There's no, there's no input into, well, you know, if we go take this design choice, how is it going to affect our, our community? I mean, it was a miracle that Microsoft actually got the idea to start blogging. Yeah. Until Microsoft was blogging, there was nothing. And that's one, one, I think, very distinct example of where the open source community was actually showing the future, showing how we should be working together, what is efficient. Uh, I think there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of fat in the proprietary system. Mm. You don't see that in the open system because you c- it can't exist. You can't no, hide. People won't tolerate it. And, and I think that makes our job quite difficult as evangelists, if you will. Now, people on Slashdot who saw my video last night, a lot of people commenting and saying, evangelists, go and get a proper job. This is my proper job. Um, but uh, one of our responsibilities is being able to push people to the right articles, not necessarily just from our employers, but people to give people a steer as to where they should be hanging their hat. I think a lot of evangelists um, could be seen as uncles, you know, you know in a way. You know, it's family. <laughs> in, a, in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yes. In, yeah, God, uh, yeah, absolutely. Not, not a Jimmy Savile way. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I mean, it, it is that kind of thing where... The, it's it's somebody that's got a family relationship with yeah. you, 
um, that is there to provide advice, but it's, they're not your father. Tell no, you, no, exactly. don't do that. Yeah. Put, put the arm around you gently. Yeah, they're not saying, you know, you let me down, you let your mother down, <laughs> and you let yourself down. But I think that's the proprietary way of doing it, isn't it? It's carrot and stick. You know, you're always worried about your P45. At the end of the day, there's been this culture change as well in companies where I think the, the DevOps guys and the developers have been had their role increase within organizations, their net worth increase, because all of a sudden they're driving where these companies are going. Companies want more bang for the buck. IT budgets are not growing. They want to be able to, to use the guys who are sitting there doing all this stuff in Python and Ruby to be able to get more out of what they've got without spending any money. Continuous integration, test-driven development, all those things were great. But then why didn't they go all across the enterprise domain? Why, why just leave it to the, pro the programming teams to be using these technologies? When people started thinking about continuous deployment, it, wasn't, it was never called. It's like, you know, we want to react to customer-driven demand. Uh, it's great to get a feature out when the customer wants it. The previous idea of sprints and iterations mm. based around like a week, a month, and the customer being part of that, well, let's just take that out of just like a software project. Let's talk, call it the enterprise. Mm. And I think that has scared a lot of CIOs as well because all of a sudden they've got to change their mindset. Well, let's be fair. The job is 10 times harder when you've got a lot more going on. It is. And I think also the job's a lot harder when the CFO won't release any money. You know, you've got to be able to go and do it. And, uh, the, the demands both internally from your internal customers, being your desktop users and also your people deploying and, uh, and provisioning, they want more. And you've got to be able to almost have a crystal ball and work out, well, if I can't afford to go and deploy bare metal, how can I start thinking about maybe racking up with a Amazon to try and move those instances to a public cloud environment safely without damaging and risking reputation architecture? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's people that talk about um, the issue of um, data sovereignty and the risks that that, that involves. But in the same instance, um, you don't even need to be thinking necessarily about an Amazon. There are various um, organizations that are now appearing that are providing a capability using Red Hat technologies, yeah, yeah. CentOS technologies, even Azure technologies, yep. to provide that ability to, to, to scale out, to have that elasticity. Mm. I think the problem comes is that People have been confusing what you need to achieve internally and externally with the concept of hybrid cloud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I stood in front of uh, an audience in Scandinavia last year, and a lot of these guys had built cloud providers using VMware technology. And all of them, to a man, if you look at the, the company offerings, were almost identical because they'd all been built using vCloud or vSphere. And this is not knocking VMware at all. They built clouds because their competitors have built clouds. Okay. Not necessarily what customers wanted to consume, but they had to have something. So they rushed to market and they developed technologies, not open technologies. Not all open technologies are brilliant, not all proprietary technologies are brilliant. But you could argue that VMware is the last proprietary technology in the data center by a long chalk. And now companies are starting to think, well, we want to own more of our future. We want to own more of our development environment. We want to choose our IDE of choice. We want to start thinking about how we get our application safety to cloud. And the only way they can do that is by looking at OpenStack, looking at Apache CloudStack, looking at doing things on their own terms. And I think Open Clouds enable them to do that. Hybrid cloud is important, but the term has been misused. So people's eyes glaze over when you start talking about open hybrid cloud. It's when you start understanding what their requirements are and painting the image back to them, that's when you start seeing the penny drop. Mm. I mean, I think one of the things that the CIO is trying to ask in, in, in any type of RFP uh, engagement is visibility. Yeah, very much so. How do, I, you know, how do I know what's taking place? How do I have the actual proof 
how how can I use that proof as part of my change control processes? Mm-hmm. And I think the the importance is, is that where these techno- where these choice, where these services are available, you have to be able to have a way to monitor and audit these services, and the provider themselves has to be able to have a way. Even if it's even if it's it's not just a question of log shipping. No, it's not. I think also it's understanding how you engage with a provider as well, and I think that sometimes is a new culture change as well. Well. One, there's a bit of there's a bit of skepticism in the marketplace because you you have people say you know oh we do four nines five nines and then of course until the day they don't yeah yeah it's been absolutely brilliant having you on the podcast it's been overdue and I think we should do it again six months time see what's changed absolutely I think what I would hope to see is that. Um, there is an exponential uh, activity going on in the marketplace right now, and I think in six months' time it's going to be more exciting and a lot more to share. Okay, so we're both going to be over at FOSDEM in Brussels in February. Let's make a date to sit down with some microphones and do another podcast there. Absolutely. I well, think but about 11 o'clock onwards because then the hangover started to fade. Yeah, I mean, if we do what we should try and do, I mean, there's going to be configuration management camp, and there'll be, let me think if I remember correctly, it's Ansible, Chef, Puppet. Uh, yeah, puppies, uh, rudder, CF engine, salt stack. And if I've missed anyone, I'm sorry. <laughs> but we're all getting together to solve common problems. So it's well worth looking on the FOSDEM website. Um, all the details are there. Remember, it's free to attend. You just have to pick up your Eurostar or your cheap plane ticket if you book it in advance now. Ed, great having you on the podcast. Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you.